with our church and up and leave. It's just that time of the month where a lot of people are vacationing, babies are happening. Did I miss something? It's a bit funny, right? Are you confused? Oh, okay, well, I just noticed that there's a vast number of people missing this morning, and it's May, and people are traveling and enjoying um, other parts of the country, and people are getting married on honeymoon. It's just a glorious time to be part of this church. Hey, listen, my name is Daryl Temple. Thank you, Michelle, my one fan. I actually, if you can believe it, pastor this group here with my wife and a couple others. Um, I appreciate being here this morning and being with you, and I feel like I haven't shared the word for some time now. Um, between May 7th with that awesome word, if you were there, that Matthew Harlan gave to us, and then followed up by our Mother's Day service with Pastor Marlino, another great lady, another great message. It's been awesome. And so I get to follow up these acts, and hopefully I do just as good of a job. Um, We're starting a new series titled The Basics. Say it with me now. The basics. Okay, we're off to a great start. Group participation. I love it. Um, It's a rather vague title, I know, to a a sermon series, but I do think it's appropriate. Actually, it's my feeling that this sermon, this message series, will appropriately uh, be a great follow-up to our Teleos um, series. If you were here for us during the winter months, we talked about spiritual maturity, maturity excuse me, and uh, I feel like this is uh, another throw at once again reminding ourselves as Christians of the basics, the key tenets of our faith, the foundational uh, blocks of what we are to build our life around and upon. And so I get the privilege of introducing this series this morning, and that is all this morning will be as an introduction of why I feel it's important that we head this way as a church and focus on these particular topics as a people. If you would, turn with me to James chapter 1. If you're reading out of the ESV, that is page 958. Of course, I'm sure you don't have the Bible that I have this morning. (laughs) It's this little outreach Bible that we give to newly saved people. But um, it's better than flipping back and forth in my iPad. But yes, turn with me to James chapter 1. And we're going to pick up reading in verse 22. We're going to go right up to 24. And then some surrounding verses that we're going to build a case off or with using this text says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and forgets what he was like. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word this morning in James, this letter. And God, we place ourselves within these words. 
this morning, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would rest upon my words, that you would use me to communicate to your people the life-giving, transformative word of God this morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Quick question. Have you ever looked at yourself in the mirror and been like, what? I don't mean like, what? I mean like, what? <laughs> like, what is that? It happens to me all the time. I know that might come as a surprise to most in this room this morning, given my chiseled features and my charming, handsome personality. But it is true. I often look at myself in the mirror and say, oh, Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth? Help me out, Jesus. But all kidding aside, this exactly for me explains what James is going after here in verses 22 through 24. James demonstrates the insanity, the tragedy of examining oneself in God's mirror. The implanted word. Look at with me verse 21 of the same chapter. It says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. James explains the tragedy, the insanity of looking at oneself in the mirror of God's word and doing nothing about it as we see imperfections and blemishes. Now, I know that might be risky to say in church, especially with the kumbaya gospel that seems to be spreading throughout the earth, that God certainly has nothing against me or nothing to say about my heart. He just blindly loves me. Well, not according to James. James, it's true. Yes, God does love you. Let's not confuse the issue. But it's because of his love that he chastens us. And in the mirror of his word, he shows us who we really are. And for that, my heart is grateful. God's perfect word is meant to reveal imperfections in worldliness. For the purpose of us seeing those imperfections. In hope that common sense might kick in and we would actually do something about them. I look at myself in the mirror and I say, Daryl, you probably want to get on a treadmill or something. I'm using, you know, it, I, I think it's funny. Don't, don't feel bad for me. I'm actually, I think it's hysterical to use myself as a model as, for this. But, it, but James is actually or obviously talking about spiritual things, not things like losing weight and, you know, nip and tucking and whatever you call it these days. But James wants us to do something. He wants us to look at our hearts in the mirror of God's word, be challenged to not just say, oh, that's nice. I didn't know that that was there. No, James wants us to do something. He wants us to take action. James explains that hearing the word without action is self-deceptive. Tune in to this broadcast station this morning. Let me say this again. 
James explains that hearing the word without action is self-deceptive. In case you weren't listening when I read, let's look at it again in James. But be, in verse 22, doers of the word and not hearers only, what? Deceiving yourselves. It's interesting that James explains or talks about deception actually three times within a paragraph, a very short margin of writing, right? You have verses 22, you have verse 25 and then 26. Let's read 25 and 26. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. On to 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. And then he goes on to say, if anyone would think that they would be religious or a person of faith and doesn't practice pure and undefiled religion, then his religion is worthless. He's deceiving himself. And James builds this premise of deception all around what? The word do. (laughs) Take action. So in verse 22, James makes the initial claim or statement that in verse 25, 26, and 27, he gets, gives us an example of what deception looks like when we've heard God's word, but we have failed to take action with it. Let me say that again. Verse 22, James lays the foundation for his case. He makes the initial statement, and then he follows it up by saying, this is what it looks like, people of God, to be deceived. When you only hear, but you never do. Be it far from us, community, to be a church that only hears and never takes action and moves upon the things that we are hearing. Essentially, James states that it's not enough to just arrive intellectually or to say or think to ourselves, I'm a Christian, I'm religious. If we have an unbridled tongue or if we prevent ourselves from going to the orphans, the widows. And may I say, even keeping ourselves from worldliness. That's a hard hitting statement from James, isn't it? As some of us here, even me, wrestle with being in this world and not of this world. We have, as a church, or, and I'm talking abroad, globally, we have found ourselves very comfortable, very at home here, haven't we? Come on, let's be honest. I certainly have. I wrestle with it daily. But see, James is going after something here. The central theme of James 1, 19 through 27 Is practical Christianity summed up. It's practical Christianity. The word of God is to take root in every believer. 
And being doers of the word and not hearers only, this is the appropriate response to the gospel. Not only the gospel, the, the entirety of scripture. Let me say this, and you can tweet it, you can write it down, you can put it on your heart. Obedience is the hallmark of the true child of God. Let me say that again. Obedience is the hallmark of the true child of God. If you find yourself wrestling with obedience, the true question is, are you a child of God? That's what you should be asking yourself. This serves as a great takeaway for us this morning. Obedience to the gospel is not optional. Obedience to the gospel is not optional. It's why do so many in the church, me included, treat it as if it were? Friends, there is an epidemic in the church today. We have intellectually arrived at the words of this gospel. We have mainly just said, I'm a Christian, but we lack that true sense of what it means, what it looks like to take action and do and live out our Christianity. You know what's damaging about the statement I just made, and I'm not trying to be heavy, guys. I'm, I'm preaching to myself this morning. I need to be snapped out of living for this, this, this world and this age and start living for the age to come. But you know what's damaging about the statement that I'm, I made is that we often, me included, when we make statements like that, begin to create thoughts of God being some kind of bully making us subservient to his every unrealistic demand. And, and, you know, and the thought is, unless we get it right, when, when the preacher starts preaching like this, unless we get it right, God's just going to do away with us. But let's say this, beloved. I just used an IHOP term, I'm sorry. <laughs> Felt right at the time. And you are his beloved. It's all about perspective. You see, my heart, I'm not burdened by messages like this. I'm not troubled by being challenged to snap into a greater dimension of obedience to Jesus. I love it. It breaks a stupor off me and says, I, I get this yes erupting in my heart. This yes erupting somewhere in the gut, the deep recesses of my inner man, bro, yes. Listen, I see it like this. God's love in us gives us the desire to cherish God. It deepens our willingness to want to please him. And in the throes of that desire to please God, we eagerly desire to obey God. And that obedience, friends, is pleasurable. And it gives us joy rather than being perceived as burdensome. You see, when I hear words like this in the book of James, my heart erupts and I say, 
Yes, God. Woo. Draw out of me whatever it takes to fully bend my heart to obedience. It quickly snaps me out of the thoughts that God is just trying to bully me into submission. Even though obedience to God is not optional, the way we arrive to obeying God is not because He strong arms us into compliance, but it's because we joyfully, eagerly desire to obey Him because what or why we love Him. The question is, often comes up is how do we please God? I think in James it helps us answer that very question. If you look at verse 23, James says that when one looks at himself in the mirror intently, when he walks away, he forgets what he was like. But then it goes on to say the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, referring to the gospel. And then he attaches to the end of that one who looks at the perfect law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer that forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed. Come on, you, you want to get a book about your blessed life now? Read the word, obey the scripture. And your life will be surrounded by blessing upon blessing, favor upon favor. So I would answer that question very simply. I know how to please God because I'm looking at the book. Because within the book lies the nature of God. It lies the character of God. It lies the full person of who God is and what he desires. The book Over a thousand pages filled with God. 67 chapters filled with God's stories of who he is. I saw this interesting, funny uh, picture on social media. This guy contritely praying at his coffee table. And his prayer was, Lord, speak to me. And there, three inches from his folded hands and his closed eyes laid the Bible I'd say, friends, this is a good place to start. I'm preaching to you, y'all. You can help me out now. I don't know what church you thought you came to, but it's not that place. That one's down the street. (laughs) It's okay to have fun. So my answer to this question is I know What pleases God, I know what God wants. I know what God desires of me because my nose is in the book. My eyes are observing God, stories of God. Take this off your shelves. Dust it off. Start to read it. It's life changing. It's a word that is alive. Come on, we, we rock around claiming this verse in scriptures, Hebrews 4.12, right? Turn there with me, Hebrews 4.12. Right, you hear this in the prayer room all the time. For the word of God is living and active, 
sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul, of spirit, of joints, and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must account or give an account to. Are you in the book? If we begin to familiarize, if we begin to become acquainted with God's nature, with His character, in this book, the result of that will be knowing God. It's not so mysterious as we make it. The writer of Hebrews, the verse that we just read, says that the word of God is living. The Greek definition for living is this, having vital power in itself and exerting the same upon the soul. Are you hearing me this morning? That's the way God defines living in Hebrews chapter 4.12 having vital power and extending the same upon the human soul or condition to be full of vigor, to be fresh, strong, and efficient, active, powerful, effectious. The writer of Hebrews, when using the word, word or words, word of God, is usually referring to the message of salvation, although this isn't the case here. If you could picture with me the meaning of this word as meaning or being defined as God's personal utterance. He's not talking about the person in the prayer room, God speak to me. He's talking about the person who has their eyes in the word. They're reading the very utterances of God. Are you hearing me this morning? Come on. Am I the only one excited about this? Am I the only one being awkward? Guys, God is speaking through this book. And so much of the charismatic world, our church is turning their eyes because they don't think it's sufficient enough or living enough. They need something to just pop out of nowhere and speak to them when they have line upon line, word upon word, the very voice of God in this book. I am floored by that. God's word is living. It's not dead. If if you're bored with it, it's because you're a boring person. God is not boring. As you can tell in my voice, in my excitement, I am jacked about this stuff. I'm a happy man. I have a wife. She's beautiful. She's right here in the first row. I have a son, eight years old. But I get intense when it comes to knowing who God is. And knowing that these are, are knowing that this just isn't any book. This isn't Harry Potter. Okay? This isn't Reader's Digest. 
It's, some of you are like, Reader's Digest? What are you talking about? Okay, I'm showing my age. All right, snap out. This is the Bible. The Word, the very words of God uttered to man, spoken to man. I think we, we do need to give ourselves more to it. I'm charismatic, but I will not ignore this book for the sake of some prophetic spirit. This is the most prophetic book you will ever put your fingers in, your nose in, and your eyes upon. Am I getting the point across convincingly? The writer of Hebrews is using the phrase, we already covered that. I love that he uses in 4.13 that the eyes of God, nothing is hidden from the eyes of God for everything is exposed. Whew. The word of God acts as God himself so that our innermost thoughts and intentions are exposed. You want emotional healing? Look at the word. If you want to be touched by God in your soul, in your thought life, look to the Word of God. It's the only source. It's the only thing of which we should place our hope for any kind of healing. The Word of God is not dead or inactive. It has life in it. And because it has life, it produces those effects. Let me say that again. The Word of God is not dead. It is not ineffective, it has life in it, and because of that, it produces life. Hey, we can just blame my excitement on just the life that I feel right now in my soul or in my spirit. I am so excited because it's given me much hope and continues to give me hope. There's something about the truth as God has revealed it that connects it to God as the source of life and power. God loves his word. He's partial to his word. He honors his word with his presence and power. And I want to urge our church this morning to stay close to the revealed word of God. And that right there is what we're going after. The next four or five Sundays. We're going after this book. And we're going to say, God, show us practical Christianity. And help us, by your grace, take action with what we are learning and what we are hearing. Sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow. What does this living and effective word do, do according to the word? It pierces. For what purpose? To divide. Listen to me. To divide what? Soul and spirit. Let me say that again. The word effectively pierces. For what purpose? To divide. To divide what? Soul and spirit. What does that mean? The writer gives us an analogy, doesn't he? Joints are thick, aren't they? They're hard. They're the outer part of the bone. Marrow is soft and tender. 
It's living. It's the inner part of the bone. That is the analogy of soul and spirit. The word of God is like a sword that is sharper than any other sword that has the ability to cut right through the outer, hard, tough part to the inner, soft, living part. Soul and spirit are like bone. They're joint and bone marrow. Soul is the invisible dimension of our life that we are by nature. Spirit is what we are when we are supernatural, supernaturally, excuse me, born again, right? Now, I'm, I'm teaching a little bit, so just follow me. I'm trying to bring this to a close so I don't lose you. But Jesus said, that which is born of flesh is flesh. And that which is born of spirit is spirit, John 3, 6. Without the awakening, creative, regenerating work of the spirit of God in us, Merely natural rather than spiritual, right? 1 Corinthians 2, 14 through 15. We don't have time to go there. But the spirit is the indivisible um, dimension of our life that we are by uh, the work of the Holy Spirit being regenerated. What then is the point of the word of God piercing to the division of soul and spirit. The point for me is the word of God works to reveal our true selves. The word of God works to reveal who we really are. Are we spiritual? Are we natural? Are we born of God? Are we spiritually alive? Or are we deceiving ourselves? Are we spiritually dead? Are the thoughts and intentions of our heart spiritual thoughts and intentions? Or only natural thoughts and intentions? Only the Word of God can judge the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. This is Hebrews 4.12. Practically speaking, when we read or hear the word of God, our senses of ourselves, our observations of ourselves are pierced. And the effects of that piercing is to reveal whether we are spirit or not. This is what we're going after. We're going to use this book to give us our identity. We're going to use this book to say, God, who are we? Who are we? We're going to talk about giving. We're going to talk about community. We're going to talk about faithfulness. We're going to talk about prayer. We're going to unplug from the things that sound like noise without love. (laughs) Let me say that again. Some of y'all need to hear that. I need to hear that. I'm getting goosebumps on my arms right now. Getting a witness. Hallelujah. 
we're going to unplug from everything that sounds like noise without love. Love for God. Love for His Word. Love for one another. We're going to go back to the basics. And we're going to look into this mirror of God's perfect Word. And we're going to say, who are we? And we're going to believe by the grace of God. He's going to answer those questions. He's going to give us identity. Not just, oh, Jesus loves you. Oh, you're his son. I see you going to the nations. No. I see a big house. Oh, like that was hard to prophesy about. Come on. No, we're going to go to the word. We're saying, who are we, Jesus? I feel all over the map. I feel one day I'm for you, the next I'm against you. I feel one day I'm lifting my hands, the next day at the seat of pornography, indulging my flesh. At one point I feel on top of the world, glorifying you. The next point I feel in the ditches. Who are we? God is going to show us in the pages of this book like he has done through centuries in the church. We're going back to the basics. It's going to be fun. It's going to be good. Our hearts are going to be stirred. It's going to be edifying, but it's also going to be challenging. <laughs> Thank you, babe. Did you have something to say? Because you're look. Okay, you have something to say. Good. I'm, I just want to make sure we're reading each other right, okay? <laughs> So I'm, I'm, just, I'm just making sure. Sorry, guys. First, me. First for me. I'm done. <laughs> Babe, come on up. It's so sad. I definitely wasn't giving a face like I had to. I was just no, 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 you're fine. Reading, I was reading the word, and he's like, you got something to say. I'm like, when you're done. <laughs> Didn't want to interrupt. But it's actually, it's, it's related to this, but I think it's um, what Daryl's sharing with us. It's a little bit of an application for us and a response, but also I want to specifically pray for some people that are here today. Um, as Daryl was sharing this text out of James, where it's talking about being a hearer and not a doer, and it's in that place that we become deceived. What I realize is, as sitting there is I think that there's many of us here today, and I'm just going to share very vulnerably about a season and a point in my own life. As many of you know, I've walked with the Lord like my whole life, and I definitely have had a, like a measure of purity, like as far as sexual purity, and Daryl and I definitely had a very successful courtship and went to the altar pure. I mean, we have a wonderful testimony. But that testimony doesn't come without a very strong looking at your face in the mirror and strong conviction in evaluating the, the, basically the state of your heart and your life in, in comfortable positions. And I say this to say there was a, a point in time where definitely I was in the word and I knew what the Lord was requiring of me. I could see in the word what the standard and the call and the clarity of the word, what he had called me to. I knew it without a shadow of a doubt. But coming away from the word, there were places where there began to be, and I'll just use this word because we all understand it, where I began to rationalize. 
rationalize my own desires, rationalize places of temptation, rationalize my carnal nature, rationalize all of those things, which all of us know those places where instead of just taking the word at face value and saying, this is the standard, and so therefore I'm going to conform my life to that word, we somehow want to conform the word to our life, our reality, our weakness, our brokenness, our father issues, all of our reality. And so it was in that season of life that I basically was not living to the standard and the clarity and the conviction that God had called me to. I had a very sobering dream. I woke up, and mind you, this is the big, I'm virgin, never touched a guy, never kissed a guy. I woke up, and in my dream, I was pregnant. And I remember waking up and going, there's no way I could be pregnant because I haven't And the fear of the Lord, and I had never read this passage in James, and it's a passage that's just before the passage that Daryl was sharing. I had never, I wasn't aware of it, but the Lord brought me this passage in James when I woke up from my pregnant dream. And um, in James 1.13, it says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Verse 14, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when it is full, full grown, sin brings forth death. Do you understand the whole entire imagery here is the is- issue of something being conceived in the womb and then carrying it full term, being pregnant, and then giving birth to sin, which ultimately leads to death. The Lord was speaking to me and saying, you may not actively be sinning right now, but there's desire that's conceived in you. He was speaking directly to the issue of desire and the fact that I was dancing with temptation. I was dancing around things that I clearly had heard God on, and instead of adhering to the wisdom of the word, I was adhering to my own wisdom of how far my boundary line could go and how much I could do without it actually being sin. And there's some of you in this place today that as Daryl was sharing about being a hearer and not a doer, the Lord has spoken very specifically to you. And you might not, it might not have been a thus saith the Lord or a prophetic word, but you've been in the word and you have seen clearly and, and it's been defined to you in black and white the standard he has called you to. And instead of you clinging to it, and when I say clinging to it, we should cling to it with the fear of the Lord with fear and with trembling and want to be on that side of truth. We should in no way dance on the boundary lines. We should cling to what he has made clear in his word. And so for there's those of you that are here today, that as he was sharing about being a hearer and not a doer of the word, you may not see sin full blown or giving birth to death in your life at this point, but you're in a dangerous place. You're in a dangerous place because you've heard and you're not adhering by doing. And I want to pray for you right now because it's an issue of deception. If you can, I'm going to say this to you right now. If you continue in that place, you have a dull heart. Your heart then no longer responds to conviction because you become desensitized. And that's where deception comes in, that we no longer have a tenderness to the spirit of God, but we willfully walk in sin. None of us here want to willfully walk in sin, but that is the progression that leads us to that place. When you begin to question and see people that have fallen away or are living in blatant fornication or things like that, and if you question how do they get to that place, it doesn't happen overnight. It's those varying degrees of hearing the word of God and not responding to it, of hearing the voice of God and not adhering in obedience. 
that our hearts become deceived and dull. And so if that's you in this place, if there's, I mean, it could be anything on the ray of spectrum. It could be a simple issue that it's not an issue of sin, but you know there's a, a posture of fasting that God has called you to so that you remain tender and in the place of prayer and you know that you're not living in the place that he has called you to. We want to pray for you today. We want to pray that we would be a people that are not hearers only, but that are doers of the word of God. So if you're in that place that you know there's things that God has spoken to you and that you are not responding and you're not clinging to the wisdom of his word, but there's places where desire has been conceived inside of you. We want to this day come into the place of repentance and renouncing those things and saying, God, we want the wisdom of your word. So stand to your feet. We're going to pray over you right now. Father, we come before you. And Lord, we thank you for the wisdom of your word. God, you're so kind. God, you're so kind. Lord, that you pursue us with your love. Lord, that you come after us and you hound us. Lord, with your kindness, and Lord, oftentimes, time and time again, instead of heeding and responding, instead of being a a responsive child of God, we go our own way. God, there's places that we deny your voice and deny your wisdom, and God, we recognize, Lord, that your word is so clear that there is a way that seems right unto man, but in the end, it only leads to death. God, we say we don't want the way that seems right unto us. God, we don't want the way that we can justify and excuse and, and reason our way through life. But God, we want to cling to the wisdom of your word. God, we want to live in the light of your countenance, fully exposed before you, Father, without shame, without hindrance. God, I thank you, Father, that there is no shame in a heart that may struggle and a heart that may wrestle with sin, but that is living and walking wholeheartedly before you with a desire to be pure. So God, we ask today, Lord, that even places of shame would be broken off of your people, that we would not identify ourselves with sin, that we would not identify ourselves with addiction and brokenness and struggle, but that we would identify ourselves with the purity and the holiness and the wisdom of the cross. And Lord, we thank you that every area of our life would come into alignment with your holiness, with your truth, with your love. Lord, that your banner over us is love. And Lord, that every area in our life, God, would come under the banner of your love, come under the banner of your truth. Lord, that we would live in the light of your countenance. Lord, we speak over this community that there would be no hiding and no shame. Lord, I ask, Lord, that we as a community would not venture to see how, lo- how far we can go on the borderline between sin and holiness and the word of God and the will of God and our own will. But God, we say, Lord, we want our life in total abandonment to the will of God. Lord, we say that in areas of temptation, we want to run to the foot of the cross with lives that are exposed before you. And Lord, we say, Lord, as a people, we don't want to be those that deal with the manifestation of sin and deal with the manifestation that sin brings death in our lives. God, we want to deal with the root issue of our desires 
We want to deal, God, with the places of longing in our appetites. Lord, we want to present those before you. Lord, when they're just but a seed. Lord, presented before you. Lord, that we would walk in truth and holiness and conviction. And Lord, I thank you, Father, that your word is clear. God, that in the place of purity, in the place of consecration, that there is strength. I'm just going to speak over. There's many of you here that are lacking strength, that you're lacking even physical energy, and it comes down to an issue of compromise. Your heart and your spirit, your mind are at war because you're resisting the will and the purposes of God. That's tiring, very tiring when we're wrestling against the Holy Spirit. But, you know, the word of God is very clear when you look at the Nazarites all throughout the Bible that the the length of our consecration, the length of our devotion to Christ is directly correlated with our spiritual strength. And if you're desiring greater spiritual strength, it comes to a a place of consecrating your life to him. And so, God, I thank you, Father, for the grace of prayer and fasting over our community. God, that even as we heard the word today, God, that we would uh, hide our lives in the word And God, that we would even hide our lives in the place of prayer and praying the word, that we would not intellectually ascend to the principles of the word, but God, that our mind would be renewed and our spirit and our soul would come into alignment with your wisdom. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, right? Listen, guys, we have a a daily way of living this out. We're in the house of prayer Monday through Saturday, morning and night. It's not always glamorous. It's not always, oh boy, Jesus is so good. But in a sense, it is so energizing and can help us, um, I think, keep within um, the provision of God's strength as we pray and lift our voices and seek him. So join us. Don't be a stranger to the prayer room. Why would you not come, right? I mean, this is such a resource in this city, uh, such a gift where we can come together and seek God's face. And guess what? We have it every day. It can work with your schedule, I'm sure. Don't forget, we have our newcomers uh, luncheon. If you haven't signed up, please do, because I'm sure a lot of people who have signed up over the weeks are not here today. And we have a lot of food. Um, so uh, if you want to sign up, please do. Other than that, we will see you next Sunday. We love you guys. Enjoy your Sunday. Enjoy your week. Um, I think we're going to preach this message again next Sunday. So if you're bored with it, maybe you want to stay home. If you want to hear it again just to refresh yourself and, and refresh your mind on the content, then come on out and be with us, all right? We love you guys. Be blessed and have a great Sunday.